You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this episode, there are references to beef. I went to a shop the other day and I said, I'd like to buy a watch, please. And the man said, analog. And I said, no, just the watch. (laughs) Yes. Bretta loves it. Oh, I absolutely love it. That's a great joke, isn't it? (laughs) It's a great joke. I actually had that sent to me by Peter Habersheck from... uh, the US and I think Ben Hunt recently used it to plug um the staying in which is a, a virtual pub he's been doing um but I've heard it before um but yeah kudos to everyone involved uh Laz what did you make of it this is becoming a team game Nate it uh, is, I mean yeah. I'm like I'm like it's like I'm winning an Oscar I'm like, like I just couldn't have done it without you know without Ben <laughs> gotta gotta give a shout out to these people so you gotta stay, I... you gotta, you gotta stay humble Laz you know when you become a joke master <laughs> Nate Saunders, the joke master. The joke master. <laughs> I thought the delivery was awesome, mate. I thought it was oh. awesome. Stop it. Um, uh, and you played, you played it down because often, um, dear listeners, Nate gets quite excited about some of his jokes, so he gets quite animated before he tells it. Whereas today, he played it down. There was some silence beforehand, um, and then he just delivered a, yeah, what I'm I- going to say was your best ever joke on this podcast, Nate. Oh, wow. I was not expecting you to say that. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm questioning that. I mean, do you not remember the Whitney Houston one? Oh, I do. I do. But but the I Whitney really Houston one should have been a 10. Like, that should have just been a straight straight up 10. I feel yeah. like now that has like, almost um, hampered the scoring system a little bit. Because yeah. that, that got a 9, I think. It did, yeah. So and it's the, kind of skewed everything. And this is also going to get a 9, because I don't think you're quite at the 10 level. Well, I want to write my own joke that then is a 10. So I think we save a 10 for when I actually do something original. Oh, it's nice to have dreams, isn't it, Nate? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome to The Paddock, a podcast featuring stories following Formula One around the world. I'm Lawrence Brete, senior writer at F1.com. And I'm Chris Medland, F1 correspondent at Racer. And I'm Nate Saunders from ESPN.com. And Barreto just uh, screwed up that intro first time, but he works at Channel 4 now, so, you know, he knows how to recover from such a stumble. Uh, I actually mentioned that because before we crack on with any other talk, uh, we had a review that came in uh, that was called The Barreto Hype Train. Give us five stars. Thank you very much. Uh, but says that we need to talk about the Barreto hype train, F1 TV, Drive to Survive Star, F1 TV Live, Channel 4 F1. I mean, what is next for this mega star of the F1 world? Who can tell? Also, I... if you had to be a type of pizza, what kind of pizza would you be and why? Was the second part of that. <laughs> um, Those two questions roll really nicely into each other. I like that. That was from uh, Spencer what, Ward in pi- Canada. What type of pizza would you be, Lars? I think you'd be mozzarella. Does that mean I'm bland and a bit stringy? Is that a, is <laughs> just a mozzarella pizza? Is that not a margarita? Yeah, I don't know what a mozzarella pizza is actually. Oh, no, that God. we can cut that out. That that makes me seem dumb. I was going to say I've completely ruined our uh, our podcast plan, which we did for once. Oh, I was going to say I think I'm like a calabrese pizza. That's with like spicy sausages and chilies, right? Because I've got the one, spicy the, takes. Yeah. You're the one pitching it. You should know what the pizza is. I think I'm just going to end this chat now. I mean, it's it's sort of topical because it's pizza <clears> and it's Italian and we, you're just in Imola. But mm-hmm. yeah, let's just talk about Imola. That's probably better, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and on what what a great weekend it was. I thought that was the best race we've seen at Imola for, for years. It's the only the second one we've had at Imola for years. That's, <laughs> that's what your point was, wasn't it? It was in the top. Were you, the top were, you tr- were you trying to make that joke? Or have I, I just... tried to, okay. but it didn't. It didn't work. It did land, did it? Yeah, no. it's the best race in Imola we've seen in 2021, <laughs> easily, I think. Um... It's definitely my top two of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that landed better. That was yeah. better. That's, right. that's good. But hey, don't step on the joke because I do those. So Sorry. let's you know rein it in, Meadows. Um... No, I enjoy the fact that Meadows tries to get in every single week with a joke of his own. Yeah, maybe I should start reading his One jokes week. as well. One week there's going to be there's going to be a few weeks delay and then people are going to listen to a new episode and it'll start with Meta's making a joke and then they'll be like Nate has decided to leave the podcast for <laughs> personal reasons setting up his own Super League podcast yeah I'll, no no way don't 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 you say that here no we're <laughs> not talk, going down that rabbit hole we're not talking about football it's dead um, but yeah no going back to Wimbledon that was great that was a fantastic race and um, it's funny isn't it like they're all so close together this year the racing's great. And now I'm worried that this rule change next year is kind of going to spread the field out again. But um, but we can enjoy it while it lasts because um, yeah, 21 no sorry 23 races of Max v Lewis like that. I don't think mm-hmm. everyone will be that close, but it it's set up pretty nicely, isn't it? It's beautiful. Like it's it's what we all wanted, wasn't it, at the start of the season? And and then we got it in Bahrain. You're like, oh, it looks really good for the year, but you still think, well, then we might go somewhere else, and it's not quite so close, or someone dominates, and then you get another mega race so keep that rolling it was a funny one because it was a proper comedy race like everyone's spinning out like even even max before the safety car restart was like i went in on this mistake yeah. action and you know made a little spin of his well nearly spun like that would have been really dramatic had he spun that was a massive moment like that's yeah. just not the kind of thing that you would have thought max would ever do really Quite, so it just showed how tricky it was didn't it? question there because it was so close to the end of the circuit should the clerk have just powered through there and just said i'm taking the restart because then max would have had to go through the pit lane i think because he would have been out of position for the start. No, I think he was past the safety car line, which would have meant he could. Max oh, okay. Yes. Go. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, 
it would have been weird actually that's the point because you're not going to overtake before a certain point yeah. but um so I, I think actually that might have been in the stage where Charles was still not really meant to overtake like if mm. if you if max could claim oh i dropped it trying to accelerate away to restart he was saying he was restarting the race so you can't overtake him before a certain point but um yeah that would have been a really like that would have been a huge controversy i think that would have been that was it already been a sort of controversy that ruined yeah that kind of ruined the race a little bit because we probably wouldn't have known the result for hours no exactly um either that or yeah like two cars or three cars would have gone past max and then he just got back past them one so and they'd have all been kicked out after the race or something <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah after getting out epic podiums for charlie and lando and then actually now you pass max under the safety car and you're now kimmy yeah that would have been yeah that was that was so silly poor kimmy poor kimmy he was so happy after the race as well was he like he smiled a little bit wow yeah how did you I see it through the mask <laughs> or did you just you, know no because you could no, no, you could see like his cheeks moved up a little bit you know around the edge of the mask that, these are the kind of things you have to perceptive. notice now <laughs> <That is> super <laughs> perceptive <laughs> And also looking, for the listeners, he, he, like Barreto, just to explain that to us, pushed up his cheeks. He had, he yeah. had his fingers on his cheeks and pushed them up towards his eyes. So that it's it was been like, so that's long smile. since it's been he so long since smile. Chris and I smiled that he yeah. had to demonstrate to us. Instead of smiling, like. he had to manufacture that move. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, was that in the TV pen? You, you noticed that from him? Uh, yeah, it was in the TV pen after the race, but he was not the most perceptive person in the pen. That was obviously George and Valtteri. Um, we missed a oh, great segue there, guys. Somebody who wasn't smiling was George Russell. Oh, and no. That's what you could have done. <laughs> I could have done. I could have done that. Um, but anyway, yeah. sorry. You're, sorry. You're, you're the host, Laz. <laughs> you, you do what you want to do. I don't mean to. I'm not trying to hijack. Um, Every moment's a lesson in life, Nate. And you just give me another one. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> silence is golden, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sit in silence for a little bit. Oh, no, please don't do that. <clears throat> but I will talk. Oh, no, he's Nate, listeners. Nate has actually muted himself and sat back from the microphone. <laughs> so you might think that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'll just kick on. Um, so George and Valtteri, uh, I was in the TV pen um, after the race and they both came in at slightly different times. Um, I was talking to Valtteri as George walked into um, the pen and my eyes were flicking to George as you do when someone else another driver comes in just so you can try and like tee, tee them up so they come over to you um and it's quite obvious when I do that and most drivers when I do that turn their heads to look around and see who's coming but Valtteri just didn't didn't like lose eye lock with me when he was chatting and then he when he turned I thought it was interesting that he just turned away from George and went around the other side of the pen and they didn't interact at all in that whole period of time both drivers were pretty furious with each other to be honest Valtteri's not often very flat out but he was just like know what he was doing um with George whereas George was a bit more he said it in a few more words um how furious he was with Valtteri and at that point in time he was convinced that it was Valtteri's fault he saw it as pretty clear cut and then I imagine what has happened over the next 24 hours is he's had discussions with some other people who are important in his career and um obviously and then had some time to think about it watch them watch some of the uh the clips back um and he's kind of reined in a little bit about it I don't think it's a bad thing that he kind of lost his rag a little bit because it happened at high speed it's a sporting incident you react as you react at the time um and I don't think it's also a bad thing that it took him some time to come back the next day and and make a decision uh well kind of admit that it was sort of his fault and he apologized I don't think that's a bad thing at all and it's got us all talking really boys isn't it 
Yeah, I mean, you're right about the reaction part. I tried to, I was very much like in the Bottas camp on that one when it happened. I was like, there's absolutely no way that I thought Bottas had done anything wrong. Like, but then I could admit that for George, that after a crash like that as well, you're going to be full of adrenaline. Like you must be so pumped up and angry and something obviously made him slightly react, but also just to drop it, he's going to be pretty pissed off. So I kind of understood the reaction as well. Um, Although, I mean, George said himself, I think, that he kind of regretted the instant reaction that he had. So I get the feeling he'd never went over to that car when they were in the gravel to check Bottas was okay first. He just went over because he was pissed off. And I was like, crashing at that speed, like with everything that can happen, like the first thought should be like, are we both alive, basically? Um, So it would have been, I, I think that's another thing that maybe came down to George. He was so angry because he was like, that was so dangerous. But then had to remember that that was also so dangerous for Valtteri, who got caught up in it too. Like, Bottas wasn't going to do anything intentionally to maybe harm himself. So um, it seemed to take George a little while to calm down. But you're right, it was actually very good to have their, like, raw emotions afterwards and the way they see it, um, rather than two drivers that didn't say anything. Because sometimes you get that, don't you, where they're just like, oh, I need to look at the replay. Like, not too sure what happened. It was also quick. Um, you know, we'll talk about it. And, and they just kind of delay giving a proper opinion until like they've calmed down whereas yeah these two are just like no and and voucher as well like flicking the bird at uh, george from the cockpit because he couldn't hear him but could obviously tell he was angry at him i thought that was great um yeah <laughs> the, th- was- the funny thing with that is had he said he couldn't hear him but had george just been there been like are you okay mate you're okay if bottas had just been <laughs> sat there flipping, the, flipping the bird at him that would have been quite funny I, I i didn't think that until you said the fact that he hadn't gone over to check on him, which is a good point. But imagine that you're like, hey, hey, man, are you okay? And then they're just like swearing <laughs> at you. You'd be like, okay, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Probably does answer it. Either that or he's yeah. trying to say he I broke mean, his finger. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but no, I agree. I think it's nice when um, drivers, like we always complain about robotic drivers, don't we? And um, I think that it's good because you need to, two things need to happen and they can both be true at the same time. One is they can be emotional after a race, uh, sorry, an incident and say something off the cuff and it's a little bit maybe it's not that well thought out uh, and then they can kind of double down not double down but kind of do what George did on the Monday or the Tuesday or the Wednesday or whatever and kind of say look you know what I did was wrong um, yeah yeah a 180 or a 360 or whatever <laughs> whichever degrees it is um, and uh, I remember a few years ago that there's a great example when Seb had that tirade on the radio against Charlie Whiting was really angry and then about a day later, released a statement just saying like, yeah, you know, obviously what I did was was wrong. And I remember being like, I thought he shouldn't have acted like that at the time, but also none of us have actually been in the, the situation where we're racing at those speeds. And you have to, you know, I forget it sometimes, but you have to take a step back and say, I've made mistakes before and I haven't then had a microphone and a camera shoved in my face to ask me immediately afterwards what my reaction would be before I really had a chance to actually work out what my opinion is. Um, so yeah, it was nice to see how it all played out. I wonder what it's done to George's long-term prospects at Merck, but that's another discussion for another day. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he will regret some of the stuff he said, especially that Valtteri raced him differently. Yeah. Like, that was silly. It was funny because there was one of George's quotes was there was only one dry line. And then, you know, so if he puts me there on the wet, there's only one thing that's going to happen. I'm like, well, if there's only one dry line, the other option for him is for him to go on the wet and leave the dry line for you. Who's going to do that as the leading car? Who's going to put themselves in a position that they might crash so that you can drive past on the dry? Like, that's like mm. just standard defending. But And he contradicted himself a bit a few times. I think he probably now has looked back at all the stuff he said. But yeah, I think it was at Toto, so it was bullshit that, that George accused Valtteri of driving and racing him differently. And I was like, that's a, quite a telling 
strong yeah, statement. And that was Wolf quite a bit after the race. Wolf doesn't talk about talk like that emotionally unless he's seriously pissed off. So you don't yeah. want to piss off like that. And um, George is going to need one hell of a PowerPoint to get himself out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right that it's good that he's sort of come back now and, and it should be acceptable for drivers to do that. Um, like when they just own up, take responsibility, when they, you know, heat the moment uh, incident like that as well. But not not enough drivers do that, I think. But I, I'd rather they, they do do it and flip-flop a bit between instant reaction and then, okay, now I've looked at it, rather than, like you say, just kind of being robotic and saying nothing. So, uh, yeah, it got everyone talking for a little bit at least. But, yeah, it was um, it, it must have been fun, actually, Brett. So you must have been pretty hyped just waiting for them to come into the pen just to, like, poke the bears. Uh, yeah, because I'll be honest, because it was raining, there's not that much. It's not that fun to be standing in the TV pen when it's raining, hardly rather television. But when obviously something, um, a massive talking point happens, you do kind of get the adrenaline going because it's kind of an interview whereby you know they're going to be hyped, you know that they're going to have the adrenaline flow, and you know that they're going to want to say they're going to want to talk to you actually for a change at that instance because they want to want to get their opinion across. And I think the thing that came across when George was talking to me, because he gave quite long, thoughtful answers, is he was almost thinking out loud. So he was probably still in his head trying to work out his view on it. And so he was just saying it. And then he probably said it and thought, oh, well, hang on, that doesn't make sense. But he's committed to that. So then he goes to the next thing that he's going to say that he thinks is going to happen. And kind of like what you guys were both saying, when we do that, we can say it in our head several times beforehand and then pick a th- pick a start that we're going to go for. Whereas he was obviously just regurgitating. He was just speaking out loud for that whole um, for that whole thing. But I actually think it's going to make George more likable, I think, as a person, because it, it, that's probably the rawest and more real that we've seen from him, I think all too often George is quite he he reins it in a little bit, doesn't like to show too much of his personality, is very well media trained coming through the, the Mercedes Junior program. And I think that in a sport now where we're trying we're starting to see more personalities coming through, I think this incident is actually going to make him a bit more real to people. That's just my my view on it anyway. Yeah. No, I agree, definitely. It's like it felt like the first time we saw the real George. Not saying that's the real George who crashes, but just no. someone who's emotional and kind of does is passionate about racing isn't just you know this very well-spoken kid who he's you know he's a nice guy but you know you don't always want to just be seen as a nice guy in racing but also reminds you how much he wants it as well um mm. and that he's you know we rate we rate him pretty highly or, or the paddock does as well and he hasn't it just hasn't really happened for him at williams is it this is yet another opportunity where points were on the table and he's not got them like he's been mega in qualifying for the whole time he's been at Williams and he just hasn't delivered on a Sunday afternoon I think he was also trying to stress the point that because before before that incident this was like probably Bottas's worst race at Mercedes if you think about the context of the fact Lewis came back in the same car through quicker cars and Bottas was just stuck there and it was almost like he was trying to stress the fact that like well he shouldn't have been you know he kept saying ninth for us is everything for him it's nothing he shouldn't even be back there like he was kept making that point and I feel like he really it wasted for him a perfect opportunity to show Mercedes like hey look this guy you've got I'm, I'm way better than him and just by crashing together the whole narrative has now shifted to mm-hmm. Russell messed up and Bottas almost gets a get out of jail free card because the race did a feature um, I think it was Scott Mitchell who wrote it and it was like why was Bottas fighting a Williams in the first place which is a good question and it you know once you get past the crash you almost have to and so I think in, in Russell's head as well he's probably thinking like I still want to convey the fact that I shouldn't have been fighting a Mercedes in a Williams. I shouldn't have been fighting the guy 
who he feels he should be driving, you know, he sh- feels he should be in that seat. You know, he clearly does. Like he, he, he obviously does. Like you, you'd be mad if you didn't think that. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting dynamic to it as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out when we next see, get the chance to talk to Bottas um, and see how he kind of, how the uh, apology went down with him. Yeah, a lot of the fallout was pretty interesting because I think some of the stuff that Toto said as well was pretty unfair. Like, there was a point he said that George should have realised he was fighting a Mercedes and he's a Mercedes young driver sort of thing. You're like, why would you ask a driver who's racing for another team who's not scored points for that team, who's got a great opportunity to score them? And like you say, overtake a Mercedes, but it shouldn't matter who he's overtaking. It's, it's pass a car to get more points and get further up um, and to prove that he's worthy. Like If he didn't try and pass Bottas... And, and was meek in that position. Then Merck turned around and go, oh, you haven't got that killer instinct we're going to need. Like, you know, why? in a sense, why are you any better than Valtteri? Because Valtteri clearly was struggling as well to pass cars and was being a bit meek as well. So um, I thought it was really unfair for Toto to say, like, that was um, not what he expected because he's a Mercedes young driver. Whereas, like, I can understand if it was the two Mercedes drivers coming together, like we've had in the past, but not not when it was those two. So it's it was... If, if it was like a Rosberg and Hamilton like return, um, which Nate, I think you were you were there for, and you as well, you were with us in uh, in Barcelona for that one. Yeah, I remember us all sitting together actually, um, and that was that was the first or second the second race I did solo for ESPN. So it's really because we we did Russia, um, and that's when we had the bobsled, which we've talked about before on this podcast. Then we had Spain when Rosberg and Hamilton had that crash and. That is exactly, it's a great comparison you make because at that point, it did feel like, that felt like the whole Formula One paddock world had like imploded at that point. I remember thinking like, this is it. There's never, there's no going back from this. And by the next race, kind of everything was okay. But in the heat of the moment when we're all stuck in that paddock together and they all went into that little motorhome to talk about it. <clears throat> I think Nicky Lauder, basically, I, th- I can't remember what he, he said something. He, he, there was a great quote from him and everyone was like, one of them's going to get sacked. And then they came out and we spoke to them afterwards, which has always stuck in my head just because of, when you see the body language of the two guys but do you remember when that happened the the media center kind of erupted into cheers and stuff you'd be kind of waiting for it to happen for a while wasn't it they'd been close it's clearly tetchy been a couple of years fighting for the championship and racing each other and not quite having a big one like that where because normally it was like was it spa 2014 when nico just tapped lewis and gave him a puncture and yeah so you, you normally had one car like that was still comfortably up front but then one that was out but you never had it when it wiped out both of the dominant cars. So um, I think everyone was like, one, it made for a hell of a race or it looked like it was going to, and it, and it did in the end. But two, yeah, it created this huge storyline of finally these two have actually done it where it's been threatening to boil over for a while and now it's blown up. And it left us with the, I mean, it was basically Red Bulls v Ferrari at that point and obviously Verstappen went on to win. And one thing that sticks out in my head was that for such an amazing result, all any of us cared about at the end of that race not all any of us care because it was. I remember, I remember running down to Red Bull and like there was Jos Verstappen was outside and it was actually really emotional, kind of giving just kind of off the cuff remarks to different journalists down there. Um, but then we all went to Mercedes, like, well, there's the drivers are up in a second, and everyone in the paddock basically it was like everyone who wasn't everyone who didn't work for a team was basically trying to get into that motorhome when Rosberg came in, Lewis came in, and just talking about what you said about being in the TV pen. Um, Laz, I, I don't know if you guys remember that press conference, but it always stuck with me because I always remember the body language of the two drivers. And after that, I, I wasn't really sure who felt they were to blame for that when I went in there. When I came out, I was convinced I knew like how it had played out in the kind of hour or so since we'd seen them crash because 
Rosberg, who had this huge championship lead still, like he should have been like, okay, it's not that bad. You know, I'm still like Lewis could have beaten me today, whatever. He came in, was really cagey, was very flippant with his answers. I remember asking him something and he literally just looked like we, we all had it from Rosberg once, didn't we? Where he would give you that glare and he would just say something really sarcastic, you know, kind of a little bit high and mighty and would just like, would almost kind of like try and knock you down a little bit. I remember getting that and he just walked out like his longest answer must have been a sentence long. And you thought, wow, he's, he's had an absolute telling off from someone. So I thought Lewis is going to be in a horrible mood. Lewis came in like, what does everyone want to talk about? <laughs> like, and I was just, was just answering really freely, really openly. I think was laughing about it. And at that point seemed really done in the championship. He was so far behind because of all the issues he'd had in the races before. And so when he left, I remember, and uh, Lawrence, I remember me and you sitting together the next day at your hotel, writing basically similar features on who we thought was to blame and everything. And my point was like, well, Lewis certainly doesn't think he's to blame because the way he acted afterwards, he was just like, it seemed like he'd got away with it or it seemed like he hadn't had the worst of the the blame from, from Wolf afterwards. And then we found out everything about the the engine mode and everything that Rosberg had made the mistake. Um, but it just, it was fascinating seeing it play out like that. And sometimes, sometimes you don't see that emotion but we got to see it and I remember kind of yeah we were just kind of laughing uh in the media center like Rosberg's had an absolute like telling off from Wolf like the hairdryer treatment you'd call it I wonder whether Toto has probably taken that approach with George this time around as well because he'll probably want to do something very similar and kind of knock it on the head quite early doors like they did with that like you said Nate after that event, it didn't really spiral, did it? It kind of, it all settled down. And I wonder whether he'll be quite keen for, for that to happen with, with George and Valtteri, which is why maybe he took quite an aggressive approach in the media when he was saying what he said this time around. Um, but yeah, I, on that note, on what you just described, Nate, I think it's, that's what I love about these massive stories is that it's not just the incident that's exciting. It's, it's the aftermath of what happens. It's when you go out into the paddock and everyone is talking about it. Or like you said, you went down and you saw what Jos was saying to everyone else or how Lewis acts. And it's, it is all a performance, isn't it? So Lewis was still performing yeah. even after he'd, he'd had his dressing down. He may have got a dressing down as well. We don't know. But he, the way he presented it obviously controlled the narrative going forward. Um, and that's just another reason why he's so brilliant, isn't it? Or why he's been so successful. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I love the the kind of stuff around that tells you something. Because actually the race before that was the one where Kvyat had caused all the carnage in Russia and then lost his seat and Max got it. And I remember waiting for the Kvyat session or the Horner session maybe after the race. And Jos was stood because it, it's like a permanent paddock in, um, in Russia. So they've got some steps to the upstairs of these buildings. And he'd obviously come down the stairs from the upstairs bit that was private for the team. I was just leaning on the doorway. Um, seeing all these journalists crowded around waiting for this media session. Uh, and I was stood with Johnny Noble at the time. And Yostas looks at us both and goes, what's going on here then? With this like smile on his face that knew is like, Fiat is in big trouble. Like there's, this is all going to change. I don't know if he knew at that point that Max had already got the seat for the next race. But when, when I looked back on it a few days later, you did think, did he? Did he know already? But even if he didn't, he was so smug. That you could just see that they knew it was going well for them. And he didn't actually have to say anything. And that's all based on the body language and, yeah, like the kind of tone of voice and stuff, which is always really interesting because I had something similar, actually. My first race in 2012 at Spa, and we had that huge jump with Grosjean when he like wiped out um, a bunch of, well, he took out Lewis and he took out Alonso. I think Kobe actually lost a drill wing in it as well. Um, and obviously everyone went crazy afterwards. And I learned, I don't know if I've 
mentioned it on this podcast before, but I learned a lesson then at that point of reacting to big crashes where I was like, wow, this is huge. It's taken out these drivers in the championship. Um, like Alonso, like not going to score in 2012. That was huge. Um, and I was sat next to David Tremaine at the time, who's obviously a lot more seasoned than I am. And he was like, you know, calm down. Let's like, who's involved? Wait till everyone's out their cars. Because yeah, that clearly very, very nearly took off Alonso's head. So it was that kind of just, even though that the kind of um, narrative could be huge after this, from a sporting perspective, let's get everyone like safe and healthy first. But then I remember going afterwards to the media sessions in the paddock and going down to um, Grosjean's session, uh, Lotus at the time, and you could tell he'd been crying. You could tell he, he was visibly had been upset. Uh, he hadn't managed to kind of like wash it off his face yet. And you knew, like that was the point where people were speculating about him getting maybe even a race ban. And that was the point before that you thought that's pretty severe. Like, you know, it was a, it was a start line mistake and it, it had a big consequence, but was it really that big? You know, this was a guy who had been scoring podiums and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, the, um, the decision came out that like not long after that he had been banned for the next race in Monza. And he obviously had been told and had had a bit of dressing down as well and was feeling really low. So getting to see that, that was the moment when you go, oh, wow, something huge has happened here. Like maybe he has got the race ban and you start to believe it and, and follow it. So um, all these little things are the stuff you see like, afterwards that, that maybe doesn't come across on TV or people don't get to see broadcast or, or whatever. Um, it, it's not always about what just happens on the track, is it? Yeah, Maddis, is that why you always want to talk to you? You're like, have you been crying, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> Maddis thinks he's a he's a, a crying expert. But no, I, I remember those um those Grosjean interviews at that time, and he did. I think he's admitted since, hasn't he, that mentally he was just completely done because he was kind of everyone was just like, this kid doesn't deserve to be an F one, um, which thankfully he kind of got over um, and improved on. Um, another one we were all at together was Brazil, 2018, when Max, those old friends, Max. Uh, Verstappen and Esteban Ocon, <laughs> who <laughs> go back a long way um, when they had their collision together. And um, the funny one with that was, I remember we didn't see the incident on the TV, did we? And then you suddenly saw Lewis on the replays going past a Red Bull that was in the, tu- in the, in the wall. And I remember, I actually remember, Chris, you just saying to me, that's, that's Verstappen. And we were like, oh, like, what on earth happened there? And then you see it playing out and stuff. And then the drama was at the end when Verstappen pushed Ocon kind of we'll, we'll talk about the push in a second um but yeah do, i mean do you guys remember that because at the time it felt like the biggest thing that had ever happened again like the the max and lewis thing and looking back on it like it's kind of a silly little push and if you compare it to nascar where like they have a crash and it's like all right let's let these guys fight <laughs> and they almost kind of encourage it like a hockey match yeah i think it's because we don't normally get it do we, we don't normally get that contact it's like people were focusing on george slapping voucher on the helmet yeah and <laughs> and it wasn't a huge hit or anything but it's just because it's unusual and you, you almost want to see that. I, I was almost happy to see that Verstappen was so kind of fired up that he, like obviously they were having a disagreement and you don't want to see it come to blows in the sense of, you know, there's got to be a point where you just accept that you disagree. But um, yeah, it, it was kind of good to see. But then, like you say, if you if you fast forward to now, you go, well, what was even Max fighting for? It was like, yeah, there was a win that got away from him. That's going to be really, really annoying. But it's not like he was in a championship fight or like the bigger picture was not actually that big, if that makes sense. It was all about just that day and that race and, and and getting that win. So I kind of felt like now it's yeah, it does make it look a bit a bit less dramatic than it really was. A little bit a little bit funny. But didn't you you ruined it all day, didn't you? Yeah, I was gonna say I've got a, I've got a story. We were talking about reconciliation and drivers making amends with each other. 
so in that paddock to explain to people the the media center in in interlagos is kind of underneath the start finish straight but yet is above the rest of the circuit just because of the way it goes it's a really it's actually kind of got that cool viewing area where you can see turn one but we went we were all again like with the spain 2016 running up and down the paddock trying to work out what was going on i think they went to see the stewards that came out and and, and max to tv had kind of doubled down and said i want to fight this guy you know, like, you know, he's like, if he, if he sees me, if he comes near me, you know, bad things are going to happen. Like, you know, it was a really raw kind of interview. And I remember <laughs> dawdling outside of Red Bull. I think we may have just had the Horner session or we we're waiting for Horner or something and um, looked to my right. And I was with Christian Manath, who's a ger- German journalist. And he actually, he looked and was like, oh, look, there's Esteban. And Esteban was walking down the paddock. And so we both looked at him and like, oh yeah. So we, we walked and we're like, he must be coming from the stewards. Let's see if there's you know, you, you kind of ask like, oh, you know, what happened? And, you know, you might tweet it or whatever. Walking toward, and, and there were a couple of photographers like taking pictures. It's like seemingly towards me and Christian who then kind of ducked out of the way. And I was still just walking towards Esteban who appeared to be just looking at me. And I was like, oh, this, this is cool. I'm just going to have a, and then I felt I could hear someone walking behind me and suddenly thought, oh, oh, looked around and it was Max Verstappen. And they were obviously going in for their big handshake moment. And um, so I very nearly just completely spoiled. Like there was nearly this like photo moment where they shake hands um, with me just kind of sandwiched in the middle of them, like, you know, with my little dictaphone. Um, but I think they did. I think they did do the handshake in the end. But um, I always remember the post-race press conference, which I genuinely, this is bad, but I can't remember if I was hosting it or if I was just in it. But Max was asked about that push and what happened. And I remember he said that Esteban was being a pussy, that he wouldn't fight him, basically. Yeah, and it that's was right. Like, that's right. That, that again, you were like, this could be huge. And then, yeah, they go to the stewards, talk it out. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll just shake hands and move on. But um, that's where I guess for like now, what Bretto was on about with Imola as well, it's good to be the person that can get that instant reaction before there's almost time for like the team to get to them and say, don't say this or do say that, or for the stewards to have explain something can calm them down a bit too much like you want them to get to that point eventually because it's a bit weird isn't it if people are kind of misinformed or just completely wrong and, and are continuing along that path but you want that instant emotion that's what makes sports so good sometimes it's like schumacher at spa you know when he like stormed down the press uh, the pit lane and you've got all of the mechanics like his press guy they're all trying to stop him and he, he runs to Coulthard. And, and obviously I think he said like, are you trying to fucking kill me? Which is similar to what Bottas apparently, sorry, Russell apparently said to Bottas. So it kind of, and that always stuck in my head just because it was so dramatic. And it was like, especially Schumacher and Coulthard, like it kind of cemented the fact that those two guys didn't like each other. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree. That moment was better because there were so many more people around. So I remember there were more Ferrari people kind of trying to push him away, more McLaren people. And so it looked like it was bigger than it was because more people got involved to try and stop something that might not have actually been that bad. But it and that camera that angle big. was good, wasn't it? Because it was like you couldn't quite see underneath the, the roof of the garage and it all looked really <laughs> tight and constrained. That was really cool. And also, again, that was Murray Walker was like, look at him, look at him. He's furious. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, so just to throw back to how great Murray was, like he, he was he was living that moment with all of us through the... Through the the microphone yeah brazil's been a scene of quite a lot of stuff though hasn't it like i, I remember the year after the verstappen and ocon one was when um when seb and Charles came together on the straight and doing the tv pen after that one and um the way that Charles was kind of quite calm about it like not happy clearly and was quite strong in being unhappy but that it just seemed to be himself seb was really like closed off and kind of he had a frown on the whole time. He was really thinking hard about how to answer questions, but he was clearly like a bit confused about what he should be saying. And I think that was 
probably where a he'd made the mistake and wasn't quite yet ready to admit to it but was probably like Bretta said thinking about as he thought it through he was like you know this could come back on me like, I'm not really in a position to definitely say it was the other guy's fault and two the dynamic of Ferrari the way it's all falling apart for him maybe he was starting to feel that no this is this is Charles team they've kind of gone behind him and is that because it, they're being unfair to me or is that because I made a mistake here so um, you do pick up on those wider things as well when when that sort of stuff happens and yeah Ferrari tend to be involved quite a lot <laughs> yeah that was I'd forgotten about that one. The funny thing with um, the TV pen as well, and sometimes this gets lost as well when people see one individual interview, but you, if we get sent the entire audio from the TV pen, is you'll almost see the drivers rehearsing their bits as they go along. So if you listen to the very last interview somebody gives in the TV pen, it's usually great. It's usually very succinct answers. Like, like they'll say, here's what happened. Boom, 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 boom. But the quotes that get picked up a lot of the time are the very messy ones that get said earlier on, just depending on whichever camera they speak to first. When, again, like you said, Ben, is when they're not quite sure, is this something I should be saying? They might say it, hear themselves say it, and think, I'm not saying that again. So for the next interview, they might make the same point, but they say it in a different way. And it does, I think sometimes it, it, it sometimes it's a great thing, sometimes it's a bad thing just for reporting, because you end up getting kind of all these quotes out there, and people say, well, by the end, he was saying this but you know on this one interview he made this kind of one comment that might not have been the smartest thing to say um but yeah it's it's kind of like rehearsing on the job and then being like right i've got the perfect interview now but it's too late because everything else you said is already is already out there in the big wide world jensen button was brilliant in that he could do the same answer for tv crew one that he would do for tv crew 10 like he just he clearly was so seasoned he'd rehearse exactly what he was going to say and it just whatever the question was just chant out the same exactly the same thing to all of them um whereas yeah that doesn't really happen these days which is obviously better for us i remember when, when we used to transcribe um jensen button quotes you would just do his first answers for that reason because you'd say well he's not going to say anything else we know he's not going to say anything else yeah he was always very good and also good at like when he was doing the 10th time he wasn't like tired and, and giving it like re- like he was repeating it you you thought you were hearing it for the first time because he was like on he was very good with media at, at kind of being like oh yeah that's a good question like this is the this is the great answer i've got for you and it's it's the same thing he's just said nine times already but he just never gave it away um you do get some really funny stuff though as well like where i, I remember mexico 2019 and it was um seven lewis uh, together in a TV pen were stood next to each other. And again, they're seasoned and chatting away, but they they tuned into each other's like answers. Seb could hear Lewis saying something about him. And what Lewis was saying was he was complaining about the start where Seb had squeezed him on the grass and he'd had to back out and then it all got a bit messy. But I think Lewis had gone on and won a title that day. Um, but at the at the time, the way it kind of played out, um, it could have been a, a big shunt on the run down to turn one. And Lewis was clearly unhappy at that, but then it hadn't finished badly. Seb was kind of wanting to defend himself a bit, but Lewis had won the race, I think, or he'd done something. I don't, yeah, had he won or got on the podium? But basically, Seb turned it around about the tyres and kept saying how great Lewis is at massaging his tyres. And if, if you're a woman on this planet, like you want this guy giving you a massage in the same way he looks after his tyres because it's beautiful and all this. But the two of them were stood next to each other and they tuned into each other talking because there was needle there. And then Lewis was kind of complaining about Seb's driving. Seb was then trying to make a joke to defuse it. But then it was like grabbing him around the shoulder and they were joke hugging. And you could just see like the fake in the smile of each of them. You knew that it was the underlying tension was that they were actually unhappy. Seb wasn't happy that Lewis was getting more success. Lewis wasn't happy the way Seb had driven um, at the start against him. And that that was the underlying tone in the whole thing, even though neither of them actually addressed it. And that's always really cool to see as well when you get that. 
um it's just kind of you feel you're in it then as well you feel like you're right on the edge of seeing their beef play out so um we need more of it more of like this weekend more beef yes beef let's hope we get that <laughs> come on Beretta, you're the professional here I know that's the well, no, that's, that's, that. that's the that's the headline sorted. <laughs> um, chaps, let's hope for more beef then in Portugal. Yes, uh, and let's wrap it up there. Thanks very much for your time, guys, um, and thanks for everyone who is listening. Please remember to hit the subscribe button and follow us on our social channels. You can read anything that Chris writes on racer.com, Nate writes on ESPN.com, and I write on F1.com. All right, let's do it again sometime. Bye. Beef. Network.